Welcome to Bald Move Television, the officially unofficial place for all of TV. I'm your host, Cecily. I'm your co-host, Alexis. And today we are covering the third episode of His Dark Materials, The Spies. Alexis, what did you think of this episode? I think we got some really cool scenes in this episode. Some really, like... (laughs) Butthole clenching, <laughs> tense scenes. This which is I appreciate. not a good episode if you're afraid of heights. Uh, heights For many people, or uh, authority figures, or <laughs> women with guns. Women with guns. Yeah. Women with fucking hand cannons. Elevators. Elevator shafts. Yeah. Uh, window seals, sills, sills. I sometimes feel like a Midwesterner when I say sills. Am I mispronouncing it? You got a sill on your woof roof. (laughs) (laughs) On your woof? (laughs) You know, you got a sill on your roof. (laughs) You got to sill up that doggy. All right, this has already gone way off the rails. It has. But yeah, there were a lot of cool things. I was excited to see this episode and also very excited that we are where we are at the end of it. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, this is, there's so many possibilities happening here. Again, only read the first book. But, you know, I was watching this with uh, my husband, Aaron, and he I, he was asking me questions about what was happening. Um, he's like, oh, wow, did this happen in the book or how did this happen differently in the book? And I'm like, this didn't happen at all. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just along for the ride with you. And I love it. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we get to see what's happening is we get to see all these different timelines just in order this time. Mm-hmm. instead of kind of throwing us in the deep end like the second and third books do a little bit i think uh, they're weaving all of this backstory kind of exposition what were these characters doing while lyra was doing this, this other stuff and it's it's much more dramatic i like it yeah absolutely um uh, let's just get right into it you want to yeah absolutely some housekeeping for this week. Over at SwizzBold.com, Cecily and I are debuting One Weird Trick. It's Cecily and I's new lifestyle and advice podcast. We do a bit of an intro, then give some advice on dealing with nosy coworkers and losing your religion. On Pickle Me This, are you a private pooper? If so, this week's episode of Rick and Morty is for you. Check us out at Pickle Me This. Bald movies, really busy time. Last week, we talked about Ford Ferrari, a very masculine macho show. Uh, this week, we'll be talking about A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Can Aaron make it through without sobbing like Donald Glover being sung the Reading Rainbow theme by LeVar Burton? Find out on the Bald Movies feed. This week's episode, Mr. Robot dropped a bombshell on the origins of the robot himself. If you're still reeling from the aftermath, come discuss it with us on 2-Bit Encryption. And of course, we're still getting weird with the Watchmen over on We Do. If any of these podcasts sound interesting, just go to baldmove.com and check them out, or search for the show name wherever you listen to your podcasts. Okay, so we start this episode with Lyra in the Gobbler van, uh, confirmed. They're arriving in London, and they are immediately taken over by the Egyptians, uh, Tony, Benjamin Reuter, and maybe a couple of other guys, or... A couple of other unnamed guys, okay. yeah. Um, they take one Benjamin hostage. Sorry. Sorry? Benjamin wasn't there, I don't think. Was he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I believe so. No, I think you're probably right. Um, I think Benjamin was there because he's taken Tony under his wing, and I imagine that anywhere that Tony goes... It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, not anymore, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so I wasn't sure if Tony and uh, Ben were going on their own independent mission, or if this is just picking up where we left off. Lord Fa, Fartercorum are all there. Nope, that's not right, because they already came back and brought Billy's sweater to Ma Costa. Mm-hmm. 
All right. So then we go to Miss Coulter arriving at Jordan College, and she tears it apart looking for Lyra. The master reveals he just looks so forlorn and put out. He's like, I, I tried to do my best. I don't have a lithiometer anymore, and who knows how long he's been relying on it to mm-hmm. make decisions for him. He, that's, you know, that's a good point. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he did his best or what he thought was his best. And Lyra still slipped away. Um, and the master reveals that he sent Lyra away with the alethiometer to Mrs. Coulter's disappointment. And she should have been the one that was responsible. Absolutely. And she's done the worst she can possibly do by yeah. letting her get away. Also, uh, book burners get whatever's coming to them. I just want to say that. Yes. For hopefully. the record. In this scene, I like that Ruth Wilson, Ruth Wilson, unlike myself, is amazing at her enunciation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the way she says alethiometer just makes your skin crawl, and it's amazing. It's Yeah, she really luxuriates in every syllable of a word. Yes. I love what she's doing here. Um, she also says in this book she finds you know, evidence of his heresy with these alethiometer books. Mm-hmm. The books that um, we said she should have been, or Lyra should have been sent away with. Right, at least one of them for fuck's sake, but yeah. Right, at least one. Uh, she says in the scene that she can identify who last read the books. I don't know if it's a spoiler for me to ask you how? Alethiometer, I think. Oh, I really? Think. Yeah. So there's other alethiometers that are in use by the Magisterium? They have at least one. Have at least one. Yeah, I mean they have to. They have this much information about them, mm-hmm. right? And all that she has to use the spy flies later to right. find Lyra. So oh, that's true. It's a good question. And the Magisterium is invested in finding Lyra too because they're they sent their own mission to mm-hmm. find her with better information. Right. And Mrs. Coulter seems to be acting independently by tearing this place apart. Correct. So then we go to Lyra joining the Egyptian party. Finally, yep. Yeah. Uh, back at Ma Costa's boat, Tony lies to his mom some more about what he's been up to and his efforts to find the kids and working with Benjamin de Reuter um, until Farter Quorum comes and collects Lyra to bring her to Lord Fa in an information exchange. And Lyra is incredible. I love this actress and what she's doing with all of these scenes her you know just standing up to for what's right and it's just so pure and brave and where do you get that strength well it's from having the kind of parents you have i guess i guess so i mean it speaks a lot to nature versus nurture right because they weren't around so why would she be this fierce exactly that kind of fortitude can be a force of good or evil depending on where you point yourself that's true um so they kind of reveal they don't want to tell her too much. They're dancing around the fact that they know who her parents are. And mm-hmm. we know this now. Um, and they say they're not keeping her prisoner, but they do have a vested interest in her. And they're surprised that she knows that Lord Azrael is her father and they want to earn her trust. So she agrees to stay with them because really, what else is she going to do? Yeah, her hands are sort of tied at the moment. Um, I would like to know how deep this river is. Because, dang, the belly of the ship is, it's like 10-foot ceilings. Mm-hmm. How does that? It's a deep river, I guess. It's I don't deep, know. deep river. Very deep, very narrow river. Yeah. Hmm. Is this 
Nope, not going to try to name names of rivers that I know in London. <laughs> not going to happen. Is it the Thames? That's the only one I know. <laughs> I think that's the only one I know, too. There are a lot of long boats that travel those rivers, but I thought they were long, not deep boats. <laughs> <laughs> They're long in the in the vertical sense. Yeah. They're vertically long. Yeah. Yeah, not horizontally. Next, we see Boreal meeting with a magisterium official named Fra Pavel. The magisterium is upset with how she handled the raid of the Jordan College, which absolutely she defied Scholastic Sanctuary, we find out, mm-hmm. uh, with very thin reason. Yeah, she uh, she showed her hand, which they don't like to do. They like to be evil in secret. Mm-hmm. So if you're being evil out in the open, it's just... Like snakes and monkeys do? It's bad form. <laughs> yeah, and... It- Boreal says that uh, Miss Coulter is happy to bear consequences and Boreal is happy to bear consequences. But instead of any consequences being bore, he instead offers Boreal information on where Lyra is and the Magisterium's own secret attempts to find her. Why are they not working together? What is it? I'm just curious what it is that Mrs. Coulter has done to not be in the Magisterium's favor because it seems like she has been serving them effectively up until now. Mm-hmm. Maybe they know that Lyra is her daughter. That is... And if it's such an open secret, how has nobody known until now? My assumption, I think everybody did know. It's just Lyra is the only one who didn't know. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I I think they think she is too obsessed about Lyra in a way that is not evil enough. <laughs> Basically, in layman terms, no. But um, yeah, she they're worried probably that she's going to be too maternal and not willing to do what needs to be done, i.e. probably kill this girl with a weird destiny. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I get it. Women, they're just so emotional. You can't really trust them to get any work done. Mm-hmm. It's damn I, lady parts. I'm saying that with my tongue firmly in my cheek for anyone who may doubt me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But also, you know, I... Th- I'm wondering now if how many people are aware of this prophecy? We were told in the mm-hmm. fir- very first episode of the show that there was a prophecy that involved Lyra. So now I'm wondering, do you mad does magisterium members trade in prophecy? Uh, who does scholars at colleges trade in prophecy? Our, our Egyptians certainly do, maybe. So far, we know of at least three groups who know of this prophecy, the magisterium, mm-hmm. um, the witches. And the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's almost everybody. Yeah. I don't know. Weird. So, we go back to Lyra and Pan. Pan is arguing that they should stay, and Lyra decides that if they're going to stay, she should at least blend in, and she puts on some Egyptian clothes. I love these scenes because I'm always... I'm not watching for cracks, but I'm always keeping in mind that this is the dichotomy in your own mind that exists mm-hmm. with uh, Farter Corum and Sofinax and then Lyra and Pan. I have to remember that Lyra and Pan are arguing against each other, but it's just the same kind of pro-con list you would do in any decision you make. Exactly. It's just visible. Yeah. It's just fucking adorable. <laughs> it is. I do wonder... If the show is doing a good enough job showing that your demon is part of you, not just a pet. Are you saying 
that there should be more demons because demons are as much of a star of the show as people. Because yes. I've been arguing this since episode <laughs> one, and I'm really glad to hear you coming over to my side. <laughs> this is true. Never was not on your side. I know you were. <laughs> no, but um, I I'm just like I wonder... Lyra. I like to just fight the world for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Oh, I don't have a reason. You're a real Gryffindor in that way. I say that because I know you're not. Sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> oh, it's fine. Uh, I wasn't saying anything important anyway. Where'd you go? Thought? Come back. I need you. Don't you dare cut this out. Don't you dare cut this out. This is a very uniquely (laughs) womanly thing that we're doing, where I apologize to you for cutting you off, and then you also said that what you said wasn't important. It's it's just a female experience in a nutshell. It's training. Yep. Oh, yeah. So if the show isn't doing a good enough job showing that your demon is part of your soul or spirit or whatever, uh, how could they do that better? Like... I think it's, I mean, I feel like it's kind of improving or we're getting a little bit more with time. Like this unique relationship between Mrs. Coulter and her monkey, which Mm -hmm. I understand is completely unique. We haven't seen anything like that uh, with any other characters. And then you also see like Benjamin de Reuter is uh, pretty much disabled once his hawk is. Right. Um, And Farter Coram sometimes dreams Sofinox different. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, I, I like what they're doing here. I feel like if more than three demons had had speaking roles at this point, it might help. Mm-hmm. But so far, we have heard Pan speak, Samaria, and um, the Master's Raven, whose name I don't remember. Yeah, the, yeah, the Master's Raven. We she had like one line, maybe two lines. We haven't heard. Boreal snake say anything? Nope. Maybe it has been, but it's in parcel tongue, so we don't understand it. Uh, yeah. But does he have the same kind of complicated relationship like Mrs. Coulter? Probably not, because she's always they... up on his body under his clothes. That's <laughs> what I was going to say. Or do they do the thing where they just... Because I have seen this in the books, too, where demons don't speak so much to other people when they're older. Mm-hmm. But they do speak to their, their human, but more like privately. Mm-hmm. Um, so Lyra is still studying the alethiometer to see if she can make it work. Macosta finds her and asks for her help for her help in the kitchen, and Lyra is not quite sure what good that'll do her until Macosta shows her some cool fire tricks. And I don't know when the first time, or if this is your first time learning that when you throw pepper at a hot uh, stovetop, it makes cool flames. But I highly recommend trying it. Is that dangerous to recommend? I mean, it involves fire, so probably. But it's pepper but that burns also, up immediately. Like, if you think even for a second that I'm not going to do that the next time I go over to your house, you are living in a fantasy You're world. You're going to wait to come to my house? I'm going to do it in your house. Perfect, because oh, yeah. I'm totally happy to throw some pepper to fire <laughs> for you, with you. Bah! It's right so cool. <laughs> it's awesome. I loved it. I was, I was just as delighted and immediately interested as Lyra was. Uh-huh. Because I was kind of going into thinking, oh, good. Kitchen work. <laughs> awesome. And then fucking spark powder happened. It was amazing. I love it. And I, I was unsure about Makasta at first, but she's really winning me over with everything she's doing. You know, her, her desperation for her child, but mm-hmm. also the love she and compassion she can have for other children. It's, it's really great. I wish she was my mom. <laughs> we get to see her as more of a whole person in this yeah. episode, not just a distraught mother. 
which is nice. Yeah, and then, you know, Ma Costa says, you'll make a fine Egyptian woman, and Lyra does her, of course, bucking of trends thing. And she says, you can be whatever you want to be. Your path is entirely your choice, but as we all know, destiny's been written, so probably not. Maybe her destiny was her choice that she wrote long ago. But you'll be safe as houses, says the woman missing a child currently. (laughs) Yeah, missing a child and with another child who is sneaking out at night. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, what she means is as long as you stay inside the walls, you'll be safe as a house, a literal house. With that logic. Yes, (laughs) that makes sense. A literal bow house. (laughs) Boreal crosses over into the other world and he has a a device locking his tire in place uh i think this is called a boot so in the united states certainly it is called a boot Mm -hmm. but in the uk a boot is it's your trunk the trunk of your car Mm -hmm. so if there are any uk listeners i would love to know do you call it a boot or do you call it just like a tire clamp yeah. Which is another term that I saw for it. I literally researched this because I was so curious. A tire clamp? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure that's not the proper name. In a, a boot is not the proper name in America either. It's just what no, we've shortened it, it to. I mean, it's the clo- colloquial Yeah, the colloquial term. term, but I'm sure it's called like a... Colloquial term. Colloquial <laughs> term. <laughs> need to say it like Ruth Wilson would. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just stumbling Col- over the vowels. Colloquial. Like she could play Severus Snape's daughter mm. perfectly. That would be <laughs> delightful. I, want, I need to see that now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, then we go back to Farter Quorum and Lyra having a talk about the nature of demons. Um, he never guessed that Tony's Hawk would, or Tony Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> I just put that together. <laughs> that Tony's demon would turn into a hawk but of course it would because all egyptians demons turn into birds mm-hmm. also his mom's is a hawk so like is it because yeah. where is it i've never seen it <laughs> in the scene where it's one of the later scenes where she reveals to lyra who her actual mother is we see as she's walking away her hawk flying after her hmm okay i mean i know she, it's a bird because mm-hmm. she wears the arm brace all the time right uh, but oh, I didn't apparently make that connection. Yeah, totally. That's why she wears that. Yeah, huh. I, I like that little leather arm brace thing. Yeah, it's also a, a cool fashion statement. But you know, still total surprise to Farter Quorum, who thinks that all demons turn into cats. Apparently, Pan <laughs> Pan says he wants to turn into a mole. And a nice bit of like uh, the other cool thing you can do with your demon is do a one-two setup to a joke. <laughs> oh, perfect. Yes. Yeah, you can be the... the built-in straight man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Pan says he wants to be a mole, and then Lyra says so it's he can so he can hide from all the grown-ups, mm-hmm. um, but doesn't really want Pan to ever settle. And Farter Quorum says that your demon settling just reveals what kind of person you are, which really makes you think about what kind of do animals have a prescribed kind of you know like nature to them uh affectation like a cat 
you'd imagine a cat's someone who's kind of stoic and keeps themselves and they're self-sufficient, but, you know, can absolutely benefit from love. I, mm-hmm. I think that could describe Farter Quorum. Sneaky, playful. Right. And... Will always steal yeah. your food. Will always steal your food. Yeah. We'll Likes hot wings because they don't even. process hot, hot, hots in their mouth. <laughs> hot hots in their mouth. Yes, yes, hot hots. We all know this. Yeah. Sofinax. <laughs> Sofinax knows this. I wish Sofinax was bigger. Me too. She. I think she was described as bigger and fluffier. Like, I think Lyra even thinks to herself that she wants to run her fingers through the fur, but mm-hmm. oh, that would be taboo. Right. Because... Don't reasons. touch a person's demon. Yeah, it's like rude. Rude as fuck. Pet. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Farter Quorum says sometimes your demon just settles into whoever you are and you can be discontented by that. And sometimes he does dream her different, which is a really sad note that mm-hmm. he delivers here. It is. It also, having a demon seems like such a cool thing because, one, you get to see when you grow up like oh this is literally the kind of person i am you could like you were talking about before with animals having certain characteristics like oh this creature has this is me this is me on the inside just Mm -hmm. a different you know form that has obvious characteristics to it but if you don't like that form or like we discussed before if you don't like yourself you can never get away from yourself. Like Miss Coulter and her yeah, monkey, I guess. Exactly. It's like a double-edged sword. Yeah. Also, everybody else can see your nature right. immediately. Right. The other thing is, is this is something that I remember reading in the book, and maybe this is the conversation that happened in the book between Farter Quorum and Lyra or some other characters, but they discuss how there was one Egyptian, I believe, or maybe he was just a sailor, whose demon settled as a dolphin. So then he's bound to water forever and yep. he doesn't want to be, you can't get away from your demon. Right. So it's like you kill yourself by going to live on the land mm-hmm. or castrate yourself in whatever way. If you can separate yourself from your demon right. by choice, or you just live in the water resentfully forever, or you come to peace with being a water person. Mm-hmm. There, yeah. It's a really interesting thing to contemplate. So then we see Benjamin de Reuter comes and takes Farter Quorum and Lyra to see the other gobbler who tried to snatch Lyra, getting TV-14 tortured by Benjamin de Reuter. Uh-huh, which mostly just involves a lot of... Um, sweat and straining and exhaustion. <laughs> sweat and very dark lighting. Yeah. yeah. Some, like, uh, steamy windows. Who knows what's happening in there? That guy looks like he's in pain, though, so I'm going to take his word for it. Yeah, and Farter Quorum says, is this all right, Lyra? No. No, it's not. But it's happening anyway, so here we are. We are in this moment together, watching this torture. Lyra's like, I'm hoping, I I was hoping I'd see blood, but I mean, I guess, if you're getting information, it's fine. this is fine. It's good enough. Can you at least stick bamboo under his fingernails or something? Like, water, washcloths, anything. Yeah, you're on a lake. You're on a very deep lake, river. (laughs) <laughs> a river lake river boredom this is fine <laughs> and because it's lyra it is fine yeah let's just move on yep so let's just move on to boreal meeting his contact at a lakeside cabin in a fucking tesla alexis hi am a ding dong i didn't even realize that was a tesla he's driving a tesla my 
My fiance literally has a Tesla and I yeah. don't recognize it. Cool. How'd he get the boot off? How'd he get the boot off? Is it the same car? And also, how was he having this much real world money or our world money to afford a Tesla that he can, you know, he can pay for all the, before the last episode we saw, he's got these tickets mm-hmm. and now he's just got this boot on his car. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking people in the UK do not mess around. If mm-hmm. you get enough tickets, they will just lock your car down. Like, all right, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we, he's meeting with a friend. But how did he get that boot off though? How, uh, f- magic snake magic i have a theory uh-huh is that a bolt cutter in your pants are you happy to see me <laughs> <laughs> i think it's a bolt cutter in his pants maybe it's both hmm. a bolt cutter snake and he's happy to see you <laughs> the holy trinity the holy trinity <laughs> that's what the magisterium's all about oh. this is the podcast where you come to figure things out that explains the symbol. So he's meeting with this guy who I watched the end credits to find out who this person's name was because I figured I missed it at some point, but he doesn't have a name except he is called in the credits the pale-faced man. Cool. Not at all a problem. So we step into a Twin Peaks episode in the <laughs> mountains and he meets with at this uh, lakeside cabin with this guy and he reveals that Grumman is actually from this world and he has a wife and a child that he left behind and the most devastating piece of information we find out that he is played by andrew scott aka the hot priest from fleabag okay i saw something about hot priest on reddit and i thought to myself surely to god they're not talking about frappa apple (laughs) no he is not hot (laughs) i was so confused he also played Moriarty in the Sherlock series Hmm. and Andrew Scott is he's warm to the touch right now I'm gonna have to do some googling after this because I did not look I didn't look that up I was mostly just so shocked although I absolutely should not have been that we are finding out about Grumman's true identity so early we're finding that out before anything else about his family (laughs) (laughs) or anything else (laughs) That doesn't happen until, oh my God, like toward the end of book two. Yeah. In the in the series. So, yeah. So we find out that Boreal is doing this search just for himself. And the pale-faced man, you know, says that maybe he could be born here and got a demon when he crossed over and it's not possible because he has a demon you know what is the nature of his demon mm-hmm. could he have just been been carrying around a hawk pretending it's his demon or a bird some kind of bird mm-hmm. we don't really know any of that yet and neither does boil boreal although he would very much like to pretend like he does right he seems like showing a little bit of his arrogance here right yeah i wasn't sure if it was arrogant or if he had some kind of personal connection i'm wondering in vain probably as if- someone who knows spoilers i will say <laughs> Dude doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> well, I don't know. They could be remixing the whole series. That's fair. They have changed. No, not really changed, but shown a lot more things here. Yeah, but I'm wondering, you know, I'm thinking if, is he gay? Does he have a relationship with Grumman that he feels like he knows him so well that it's not possible that he could be betrayed in this way? 
Because I feel like he also has some close talky scenes with Pale Face Man, with Fra Pavel, but also with Miss Coulter. Mm-hmm. I I mean, he could be sleeping with all of these people. Mm-hmm. It seems like he's got some very personal interests that are mysterious to us. But then he goes to leave and tries to text someone and then changes his mind and deletes the text. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know if this is the same. Did he send it? Oh, did he send it? I thought he he sent it because he very much meets somebody else. Okay, I thought he deleted that text and then ended up meeting someone later, but I I could have gotten that mixed up. So we see Benjamin DeReuter recovering from an intense interrogation sequence and uh, manages to learn that he, or Mrs. Coulter rather, is taking the kids north. Which is something that Lyra already knew. Yep. So, cool. Uh, Farter Gorham says they can't go to Mrs. Coulter's flat to find more information, but... Lyra still plants the idea in Benjamin Reuter's head anyway. And she'll, to her deep regret later, yeah. Yeah, it's not the last time she'll share information that leads to his downfall. Yeah, some real uh, holding action happening here. Then the law, I think this is the police or the magisterium or the police acting on behalf of the magisterium. I think it is the police with one magisterium official. I saw one okay. dude with that little, that collar. Like matrix leather robe too? Thingy. The, the... The pin that goes through both lapels, yeah. that weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. The the magisteri pin. <laughs> mm-hmm. A valiant uh, attempt. <laughs> <laughs> the so they the law finds this small contingent of boats and searches them in a very tense scene where we also discover that there is a false wall behind the cabinets and Lyra is hiding in it. A lot of these lawmen have very scary police dogs that are very intimidating because it's not just that they can smell you, they can also sense you. I was trying to figure out why the search scene was like so scary to me. It was it's one of the more tense scary search scenes I would say I've seen recently. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking like is it because of these really like pointy toothy dogs <laughs> <Yeah>. or <laughs> I don't know is it the way it's shot is it the the color scheme used something yeah. about it is it's really tense I really like this scene yeah there's a lot of you know we get a lot of sweaty shots of Ma Costa and Tony you know they're kind of you think that they're standing right in front of where Lyra is mm-hmm. and that's why they're so tense they're going to look behind them and right. they they know where she is trying to avoid looking in that direction and then also, you know, the dogs are smelling their fear and they know they have something to hide, mm-hmm. but they don't quite know what it's. Yeah. A lot of a lot of impetus when you give dogs agency like that. I was going to say this is uh, one of those scenes where the issue of these demons being part of you comes up because these could just be police dogs. There was nothing distinguishing them from police dogs in this scene. Exactly. Or like most of the servants in any household have dogs as their uh, mm-hmm. demons could just be kitchen dogs what happens if you change careers <laughs> <laughs> i guess you're still it's a dolphin situation person. you're, you're yeah. stuck in that career forever right then we see miss coulter in lyra's room missing her and the monkey sees her in there enters the room and shuts the door behind 
him and as you see feathers start flying she fucking yeah. tears that room apart oh yeah she goes full monkey on it full monkey not the last time she'll go full monkey this episode no shit oh my god <laughs> that was very effective i like it yeah uh, then we see Lyra running away on the shoreline after the police raid. Ma Costa chases her and in an emotional scene finally tells her that Mrs. Coulter is actually her mother. It's kind of a complicated backstory here. The Egyptians are friends of Lord Asriel. Uh, Asriel and Mrs. Coulter fell in love. Mrs. Coulter got pregnant Mm-hmm. And they tried to play it off like it was Edward Coulter's baby until she was born and looked just like Asriel. Apparently. In that way that babies do, I guess. I don't know. I, he she, came out and he was just, she was just a total dick to everyone in the, in the. <laughs> she was literally, she, she came out biting. <laughs> it was a whole thing. <laughs> How are demons born? Are they do they come out of the mother the same they, with or the do baby? They materialize after you're out because if they come out at the same time, but they're small. They yeah. take small forms. Your demon kind of grows with you. But now I'm thinking about that. So thanks. Yeah. Do you always about. give birth to Giving like birth to puppies? Ugh. Yeah, a baby and a small animal. Hmm. Hmm. Let's make a nice book to, about that. That's not nice to think about. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there it is. It's in your head for the rest of the day anyway. Uh, you're welcome, I guess. Uh, yeah, she she was born and it was just like a little baby snow leopard with her. So looks like just like Lord Asriel. Uh, Asriel hid in Lyra with Egyptians, but he was also living with them at the same time. And when Ed, Edward Coulter came to kill his baby and him, he lost. Asriel mm-hmm. killed him defending his home. Edward died defending the violation of his wife. <laughs> so they both died defending their property. Or no, they didn't both die. Only one person died defending his property. But they fought defending their property. Yeah, sure. Um, so Miss Coulter was obviously a pariah for years because she had more than one sexual relationship with a person in her life. Mm-hmm. And Lord Asriel, most importantly, lost all of his material wealth and property. So he's a real he loser to here. Ask the college for money to do stuff, I guess. Right. It all comes full circle. <laughs> but the church took uh, Mrs. Coulter in, so she's fine and healthy and sane, of course. And has an absolutely banging apartment. <laughs> yep. Yep. So what does she have to complain about? Asriel did steal Lyra away from a nunnery during the Great Flood, which is where we saw that opening scene in this series. Mm hmm. And uh, Ma Costa reveals that she was the Egyptian nurse that took care of her in that in-between time. Very sweet. Yeah. Very sweet. I, I'm i just now asking myself this question, but why don't we know what Miss Coulter was doing during this period? Studying? But it seems she like... a scholar? Yeah, it seems like... She had a baby. She was a vessel for the child to be born. Mm -hmm. And then it was up to Lord Asriel to decide what happened to her. They took her away from Mrs. Coulter. Or did Mrs. Coulter give her up willingly because she's like the shame. Oh, the shame. As soon as it's born, it looks like Lord Asriel. I can't live with this. Fuck this baby. I mean, I I know the answer to this, but the show doesn't tell us that she she gives her up for adoption. Okay. I mean, I guess I kind of assume that, but... 
I don't know. She's not a Miss Coulter is not a stable person, so we don't really know. I wasn't sure if Asriel just stole the baby away because he's a dick. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. He is a dick, but I don't know that he's necessarily a baby stealing dick. Yeah. Are so we talked about this before, but Tony, they aged down to be about Lyra's age, probably just, a couple just of past years older. The cusp of puberty. Yeah. yeah. Did they age him down just so Ma Costa could have believably nursed Lyra? Did she? Did she mean like wet nurse, nurse her, oh, or just take care of her? In uh, this, just, I feel like in the context of this world, wet nurse makes sense just yeah. as much as regular nurse but right I don't know. yeah took care of as baby yeah i'm not trying to nitpick the show but these mm-hmm. are just thoughts that i was having and you know the world building i'm really interested yeah. in also a baby can survive on more than just mother milk yeah so as we know i mean baby formula exists other animals make milk right so yeah all sounds those good but <laughs> i like it i just like uh, I guess what I really like is the closeness that they have, even though they're so far apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we see in a very terrifying scene, Miss Coulter gets very drunk and is playing on the rooftop where she just mentioned last episode that she thinks about jumping sometimes. Mm-hmm. We um, can hear the wind blowing. Yes. I felt like it kind of got my belly a little bit watching yeah. the scene. You see the monkey watching from the window inside, just terrified for her. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, settles in, in her drunken state, decides to release these spy flies to find Lara. I believe that she had already already decided to do it, but she needed the booze and the... Yeah, needed the, that liquid courage to make it happen. And also the the adrenaline from walking on the edge of a fucking roof. Yeah. Yeah and sorry also the the defiance of the monkey (laughs) could be another reason you know just because you don't want me to right yeah we see as she releases these really beautiful little bugs with lights in them real neat um the monkey kind of like you know yeah this makes a makes an emote at the window it's a monkey face so we have to kind of give a little to it but it seems like it is not terribly happy also she almost falls off at one point and he like slaps his hand on the window like oh no yeah yeah i find these scenes so it's an excellent choice having her demon be a monkey because monkeys are so close in the evolutionary chain to humans that they can make these very um, uh, you know emotive faces and i find these scenes with her and her monkey when they're alone almost unwatchable it's just so emotional. It's really painful. Yeah. yeah. It's just, I don't know where it's going to go. I don't want her to hit it. I just feel, I just, it just makes you feel really discomforted. Um, also, these spy flies are dangerous and illegal for reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it says, someone says in this episode that it's because there's, uh, Makas, I think, says there's a dark soul inside. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that means that they that there's some sort of like dark magic or blood magic or something like that that goes into it, but you definitely are sacrif. It's definitely heretical, if nothing else. Absolutely. Which, I mean, not that we should be surprised at this point that she's a hypocrite. We've seen her be a hypocrite in many ways, but 
when it comes to religion, she is also apparently a hypocrite because she literally raided Jordan College like that morning. So cool. Right. With no evidence until she found it. <laughs> like they were <laughs> yeah. going to tear that place apart until she found some reason for her to be tearing the place apart. Exactly. Yep. That's how it goes. So we see Boreal eating food out of a cone, which must be like a street delicacy in London. I googled furiously to f- to figure this out because I I love food and I'm always just uh-huh. super interested in food, and I I think it's chips. Oh, it fries chips. That's interesting. British chips. Because I feel like I've or fruit. I feel like it seems. It, I thought maybe it might be some sort of like Asian food. Like a mm-hmm. or maybe a curry or something like that because uh, I think I've seen an anime of characters eating something <laughs> like that in a similar right. kind of like conical device that they give you to eat street food with the wooden fork thing. The two tined fork, yeah. yeah. That's not the important thing. He's eating street food. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's such an interesting detail. Was that just to remind us that he is still in? The modern world. Maybe, or maybe that, but also, you know, he's taking part in these delicacies and things that he can't get in the other world, like better coffee for sure. Treating himself. (laughs) Treat yourself, Boreal. (laughs) So he meets with a mystery man and gives him what they don't say, but we believe to be, because it's in the same envelope, Grumman's wife and son, Mm -hmm. just to watch. Right. So we'll see where that goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the Egyptians have a group roping, is what they call it. We see that 27 children are now missing. So gobblers are working in double time now that they're on to them. Uh, Raymond Van Garrett believes that harboring fugitives is the real problem and it will draw extra attention to them. Uh, Lyra gives a rousing speech about how the children are more frightened than they are and that what they need to do is fight back and everyone agrees to go north. Finally, we're going north! North! (laughs) Yes, yes. What would you say is in the north? You know, like flying things? Flying things? Maybe things that wear armor? Growling things? Growling things? Snow things. things. Very sad things. things. Dead fish. Dead fish. Um, Children. Cute Two groups of peoples whose name I know now. Samoyeds and Tartars. They are Samoyeds in the book. Samoyeds. All right. Can't believe it. So (laughs) terrible. Uh, People with flying vessels like balloons and sticks. I don't know. Well, I'm excited to see. This was a good scene. I liked the... The camaraderie and also just honestly, finally we're moving from London. We've been in London so long. Finally, finally. Finally. I'm also surprised that they, well, I'll get to it when we get there. Okay. So that evening, Benjamin DeReuter and Tony sneak out. Uh, Before Tony can get away, he's caught by Lyra, who gives him additional information on where to go once they find Mrs. Coulter's place. This is such a terrible idea. So So bad. Uh, so Lyra continues to play with the alethiometer and discovers that when she lets her mind go blank, she can make it move. So she's onto something there. She's in, she discovered the state of mind you need to be in to make it work. Mm-hmm. So B and T perform a B and E just as Ma Costa wakes up <laughs> to discover Tony gone. <laughs> and, uh, she wakes up Lyra who tells her everything immediately. 
Uh, so then we see B&T breaking into Coulter's elevator shaft, which is clever. I mean, they did put the ladder in there for a reason, right? Right, yeah. Just for this. Not maintenance or anything. Accurate. Uh, They go right to her office and find some papers, including a list of all of the children taken. Then the monkey, who was scrambling around on the walls, discovers them and starts screaming. Benjamin is able to grab, um, like, the the blueprints for the station. Mm -hmm. And I guess probably the location of it, too. Which doesn't actually help anything as we find out yeah would have but yeah i would have this it's one of my favorite scenes but also it is very difficult to watch yeah it feels like maybe this is a heist that would have gone gone over better in daylight honestly when she's away yeah yeah just wait until she's gone to a luncheon or something and Mm -hmm. break in it takes you five minutes right and I, I know there's got to be a limit to how far away her monkey can get, if not just to keep appearances up mm-hmm. that you can't, that you're this disconnected with your demon. Right. Tony runs to Lyra's room and hides out, sneaks out the same window that she got out. So we don't need to, we don't need any further explanation about how the path is that he gets out of there. Mm-hmm. And we get to see exactly what Colder did to that room, which is to say destroyed it. Yeah. Just absolutely demolished it. Yep. Monkeyed it up. <laughs> Full monkey. Mrs. Coulter pulls out a fucking miniature tank, uh, fist size. It's a very delightful old-timey gun. Yeah. She shoots Tony in the arm. I'm surprised his arm didn't get blown off. (laughs) Right. But we see how humans and demons interact with each other here. She attacks him in this way that I thought at first... I had to rewatch this a couple of times, but I thought at first it looked like she was doing some complicated martial arts. But in fact, she's attacking him like a monkey does. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't even need to be that powerful because her actual monkey is attacking the bird and overpowering it. Yep. So it makes me wonder. I thought maybe when Tony broke out of Mrs. Coulter's hold and slapped her across the face, Mm -hmm. that his demon would respond accordingly and break out of the monkey's hold. Like if you are a stronger human man Mm -hmm. than the person you're fighting... You know, it just depends on who has the power and it can be reversed at any time when you're overtaking someone. But it seems like the demons really kind of trump that. Yeah, I, I was curious about that too um, because the bird just wiggled away basically whenever he got away. Yeah. I don't know if that was just for convenience for the scene, but it didn't really, the monkey had a really good hold on the bird. Right. I don't know how how tied the physical actions are. We see they're tied at least a little bit whenever you're upset because, like you said, Coulter just goes full fucking slappy monkey (laughs) on him because her monkey is beating its fists. Right. Yeah, you see the monkey, like, using the backs of its hands to beat down the bird and, like, his fisty slappy thing. Yeah, Yeah, it's wild. And then everything she does after that is still, it's very monkeyish. It's just slow. This was great. Right, yeah, even like her, like the way she kind of crouches over him Mm -hmm. and the way she screams down the elevator shaft when he throws himself down is so monkey. It's, I really love what they're doing this, but again, unwatchable. (laughs) (laughs) Very difficult to watch. So, yeah, really evokes the feels. We go back to the Egyptian boats and Ma Costa is really upset that she's lost another son who was supposed to be safe as houses. 
And Lyra says that you can just blame my mother or you can blame me. And she thanks Farter Coram for trying to keep her safe, bridging this trust boundary between them because they didn't have the same emotional moment as he and uh, or she and Mon Costa earlier. And she tells him that she has the alethiometer and being the wise old soul that he is, of course, he knows a little bit about it and tells her that, you know, just generally how it works, that she needs to point the hands and directions and that they correspond. But it would take her years to study and understand this. Um, she goes back or, you know, still in her room. Does she have a room? She just and she She's lives in the general like, area. Yeah. In the hallway. She has a little table in the hallway. So she keeps trying to use it and does make it work. Unfortunately, the first true thing that she learns is that Benjamin de Reuter is dead. Yeah, which is not not the best thing that you want to hear the first time you use a new piece of technology. I also thought it was a little bit interesting just from the viewpoint of, you know, being a woman and having navigated life as a woman. The pan telling Lyra, which is, you know, Lyra's subconscious telling her, oh, this is too hard. This takes years of study. What makes you think that you can do this? Yes. Which almost yes. makes her not try again. It's so identifiable. Oh, yeah. I, I was yelling at my screen at that point. Like, no, you stop that. That is internalized misogyny. <laughs> yeah. And she's still a young woman. So she's still got that fight in her and not enough people have told her she can't yet. Right. That she hasn't internalized it. Yeah. That's that's very good observation. So she runs aloft to tell Farter Coram that Benjamin Reuter is dead and she knows how to read the luthiometer when the spy flies attack her and Pan. Uh, she manages to capture one, but Pan is too little to get his. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Could have used that. The wildcat. The form. wildcat version. Yeah, I don't yeah. know why he didn't. Well, because one had to get away. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Narratively, one exactly. had to get away. So he... He reveals that it's, uh, you know, it's a spy fly. He's also he's the wise old soul that also knows what this is. And Mrs. Coulter definitely knows now because one of them got away. Mm -hmm. um, at that same time, Tony returns and reveals that Benjamin de Reuter is dead, confirming that Lyra can le read the lithiometer. And he also has brought back the list of children that were taken, which includes Billy. Yep. It's a very long list. It's heartbreaking. 27-ish people long. Um, I like in this scene that Farter Quorum says, oh, someone grabbed that other spy fly. And I think I hear in the background someone goes, oh, I don't know. It's pretty fast. <laughs> what? I, I listened to it a couple of times and I swear someone said, I don't know. It's oh, pretty fast. Oh, <laughs> my God. I want so much for that to be true. I suspect it is not, but well, I want it, it to be. <laughs> It's canon. Absolutely going to go back and watch that scene again. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Listen to those background actors. They're, they're doing a lot. <laughs> and also this Tony Costa is not a good actor and it's unfortunate. He's, he's such a not good actor. Really pulled me out of this scene of delivering the death of this Benjamin Reuter, which I mean, Benjamin is doing the best he can. Or the actor, I don't know his name, actually. Doing the best he can to sell us on this fake torture scene and taking Tony under his wing. And I feel like 
Tony's not giving us a lot. Like, he seems to be the least affected by Benjamin DeReuter's death here in the scene. Yeah, his face is maybe a little too stoic for, like, on the one hand, I get it, because that is definitely a a thing that teenage boys want to do to make themselves mm-hmm. seem, you know, more adult, more manly, is just completely, like, try to shut their faces off mm-hmm. from showing emotion. But also, it doesn't make for great acting. Right, but he's also young, and he, mm-hmm. you know, he. I could see why he would try or want to and get angry, but he he's missing a brother who yeah. could be dead, and now his only kind of paternal figure in his life is dead, died in front of him. I and do, yet, yeah. That that kind of facial acting requires a lot of skill. Yeah, and you're playing this guy against this Daphne Keen and. <laughs> yeah. Who's very good at the subtle face acting. Yeah. Who's just, she's, she's doing the most with her her youth and vitality. And I just, I don't know. It just, if I'm just kind of disappointed. <laughs> and I debated whether or not to even bring this up. But then I realized that there are thousands, hundreds, millions of people who, who want to be actors. Yeah, right. Who can do great. You know, we saw the, Taryn Edgerton mm-hmm. from the Kingsmen kind of do something similar, this uh, this false male bravado kind of thing ever since he was young. And it just, you know, it makes you just expect more because everyone else is doing so much in the scene that it just took me out of it. So, sorry. Uh, so then we go to Farter Corum telling Lord Fa that they can't recover the body because, you know, if any attempts would immediately reveal who you are and your complicity. Mm-hmm. And... He also says that Lyra knows how to read the alethiometer, and he makes the Pikachu shocked face at <laughs> And he encourages Lord Fa to stay strong and believes that they will get their children back. So I'm going to bring up another point that I've done before. Uh, I had this crazy conspiracy theory that Benjamin de Reuter was Billy and Tony Costa's dad. Mm-hmm. And now we see Farter Corum, who ostensibly is childless. Mm-hmm. Consoling Lord Fa, who also may be childless. Mm-hmm. Why? And also Benjamin de Reuter, does he have children? I don't know. Why are these three guys so particularly invested in their children that they need to comfort each other this much? I I just, I don't think this is a pet theory as much as I think that they're telegraphing in the show that there's a secret dad in there somewhere. <laughs> and I think it's Lord Fa yeah. with these two boys. Because he and Macosta had that, you know, face-to-face scene last episode. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? Am I being crazy? <laughs> if you are being crazy, I would say you're being very lightly crazy. I don't know that that would have a lot of bearing on the story as a whole. So I don't know why they would spend so much time right. including that. Um, I think it might just be that Egyptian culture is such a, it's like a close-knit family. Everybody is everybody else's kid kind of mm-hmm. dealy where like everybody raises everybody else's kids so you do feel that relationship more so than like american families and kids would yeah maybe just i don't know well, cinema- maybe they're all fucking in the language of cinema the fact that he would need to take this extra for the majority of this scene to be occupied with him comforting lord fa mm-hmm. as opposed to revealing that lyra can read this alethiometer means this scene was meant more for these men than it was for 
the Lyra reveal. And you're spending this much emotional energy on these childless men than you are making Ma Costa need, want, desperate to find her children and more of them, you know, being rational about finding it. I don't know. That's just just a thought that entered my mind. I think there's a secret daddy here. It is also just kind of nice. My to daddy see. detector is going off. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, your daddy dar. Fantastic. Put that on a fucking t shirt. <laughs> I will. I'll do it. <laughs> oh. Oh, right. ridiculous. It is also just kind of nice to see men like having emotions that are healthy. Right. And maybe that's the thing that's blowing my mind here is that yeah. these men are just having a healthy expression of emotion, except for Tony Costa. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Ma Costa tells Lyra to keep the spy fly just as she's about to throw it into the ocean because it's a fun keepsake from your crazy mom. That was really, that's some really interesting reasoning for that. I, man, find some other reason. Lyra could just be like, she could forget about it or something, but they have to show us it again. So it's not a spoiler to say that this same thing happens in the book. Mm -hmm. She keeps this second spy fly. For good reasons. And she yeah. seals it up in a tin. Mm -hmm. Can you remind me what it is, what the reasoning was for her keeping it then? For her keeping it then, she it literally says that she forgot about it. She shoved it down into the bottom of her bag and forgot about it. And then she remembers it. Yeah. At an appropriate time later in the series. I guess I I guess I believe that more as a twelve year old girl to keep the thing because why would I get rid of this thing that could be valuable? Yeah, I think they were ju literally just trying to to give us another scene with the spy fly so that we would remember later. Yeah. Um, because just showing her tucking a tin into her bag might not have been Yeah, so I guess my questions are enough. like if you know that it is a bad spirit, some bad juju inhabits that thing, mm -hmm. why keep it? If you believe in the bad juju, then why would you want that near your own soul? I don't know. Or if you believe in bad spirits inhabiting technology, why would you keep it? Because wouldn't that make you traceable? Yeah. Are these it's a fair point? We know 21st nothing about century these questions spy flies. We don't even know how they communicate the information that they gather. Somebody does. Somebody does, I guess, apparently. They know enough to know that it can repeat this information back to Mrs. Coulter, but mm -hmm. the information is contained within the thing itself. Yep. May I don't know. I guess I would just start making assumptions. Like, can this one communicate with that one? Mm -hmm. Because I can communicate with my demon so are these two paired in a sense? Like, let me get rid of this fucking thing immediately. I don't know. It's weird. And there's also the question of, can you actually destroy these things? Because mm. her reasoning for telling Lyra not to just pitch it in the ocean is because it's a metal box. It's going to rust at some point, And mm. those things, uh, water doesn't hurt them, apparently. And yeah. then it'll just get out and come back to get her i don't know or yeah go back what to what possible <laughs> information could it relay? rust out find miss Coulter on her deathbed and be like as as lyra's holding her hands you know they've made peace and everything <laughs> yeah and the spy fly is like lyra's alive <laughs> she's going north so yeah she keeps it which so i mean hopefully that thing comes comes back it's indestructible enough that it can't take a really good strong boot stomping to destroy it you would think. 
yeah i don't know they're mm, they are sticking to the book here on a thing that is i would say maybe you didn't necessarily need to stick mm-hmm. to the books because there are many other ways that she could have found out that they were going north i mean an entire band of Egyptians grouping together and moving north. Like, nobody's going to notice that, huh? Yeah. The nobody's same Egyptians that Lyra pointed out as they were moving north. Oh, I guess that actually would make sense. Finally, we see Boreal finding Mrs. Coulter nursing a hell of a hangover. Mm-hmm. Uh, she insists the Magisterium is taken care of just as the spy fly returns, and they found Lyra. <laughs> Boreal says, a spy fly? Are you out of your mind <laughs> and i again i can't say enough good things about what lord or lord boreal mm-hmm. lord boreal daddy boreal is doing with every scene i see him in the sleepy idris elba the the pansexuality of of it mm-hmm. he could be sleeping with everyone he could be sleeping with no one i don't know i just i i'm i'm dying to see more of him and his demon it's all very good. I'm dying to see more of these two characters in the same room together. Mm-hmm. Just being preferably naked, but whatever <laughs> is fine. Whatever I can get. <laughs> whatever 14 year olds are deemed. Yeah, whatever is TV 14 is close <laughs> to that as you can get, which is this scene, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> At least slow dancing or something. Uh, yeah, slow dancing. Thank mm-hmm. you. Holding hands, please. But what we're actually seeing is two like tired villains hanging on hanging out on a couch together, and I can't help but notice that uh, Coulter is giving him all the information she has. He's not giving her shit. Nope. Nothing about John Perry. Nothing. She, uh, oh yeah, she doesn't even know. She doesn't even know that he's been crossing over. Nope, none of that. In fact, I don't even think she knows. He's meeting with the Magisterium, the same people she's working with. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's sharing with her the information that Lyra is with Egyptians. So mm-hmm. she's finding out that Lyra's with Egyptians from the Spyfly. Accurate. And who knows what else the Spyfly can communicate to her. Because um, it's magic and could be anything. But Lord Boreal is purely acting in his own interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we see the pale face man accuses him of this by saying, oh, this is personal, isn't it? And uh, yeah, I don't know what he's doing. But she also says the magisterium is taken care of. So it's clearly not. Yeah. Or maybe she has smoothed it over. I don't know. She seems to be descending into some kind of crazy. <laughs> but yeah, that's where we leave the episode. Do you have any parting thoughts? Yes, I have a thought or two. My biggest thought is we're going north. We're going north. It's happening, y'all. It's My happening. Second thought is, we got some really cool scenes in this episode. It was nice. Yeah. You can cut that one out. That wasn't anything. No, I love this. This is a fun. This is a fun episode. This is a fun season series so far. I'm so glad that <laughs> the first. I think the first episode had some hiccups. Some things. That I think all that criticism still stands, but. This, I'm just, I get more and more excited every time I watch a show. I haven't been this excited about watching and also covering a show in a long time. Like I was telling you earlier this morning, I have covered five seasons of American Horror Story. So to be really excited about covering a show and talking Mm -hmm. about it at the same time, it hasn't happened in a while. 
I'm just happy for the opportunity to get on a mic with you. Yeah. A true, a true podcaster. There's also that. Girl power. Girl power. We did a pod five. (laughs) I am three styrofoam cups in a trench coat pretending to be a human. Yeah. So it's nice. That's all we can do. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, before we go, yeah. I do have a couple of pieces of feedback from our listeners. If anyone listening also wants to send their own feedback, you can do so at tv at baldmove.com. We also have a weekly discussion that's going on in the forums.baldmove.com. You can find us on all of social media at baldmove and also just, you know, love us, donate us, give us constructive criticism if you want, but never say anything bad about us. Yeah. And if you want to follow those rules, you can do so by rating and reviewing us anywhere you listen to podcasts. <laughs> okay, so our first feedback is from Molly. Molly says, are you able to speculate on why the master allowed Lyra to go with Miss Coulter without risking spoilers? It doesn't seem like he had much faith in her caretaking abilities. Did he feel obliged to let her take Lyra because she is Lyra's bio mom? Or was he trying to placate the Magisterium? Was he worried Lyra was not going to be safe at Jordan in the near future? I'm curious what prompted it, since he did seem to have scholarly or scholastic sanctuary pretty well in place until this episode. I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to talk about. Um, I do think some of it is him just thinking, I guess, that biology is going to take over with Mrs. Coulter. Like, she'll surely, if she has a child, she will act like a mother, right? which isn't how anything works. But good on you for reinforcing those stereotypes, man. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And I also think he knew that he couldn't keep her at Jordan anymore and she had literally nowhere else to go because fucking Azrael made it pretty clear that he was not interested in having a tag along. Right, exactly. Like He doesn't have... If someone like Miss Coulter or Lord Azrael shows up and wants to demand the child, then... You don't have any rights to say no. Hmm. Or if someone like the Magisterium shows up and says that we're going to put her back in a nunnery or a place where children go, they don't really have an argument there. Yeah, maybe he was just hoping that sending her with Mrs. Coulter would be the lesser of two evils. But Right. You know, you send her with this person who is kind of evil and does bad, mm-hmm. and, and you put this person up against their biggest enemy themselves in a way. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, Lyra could be a mini Mrs. Coulter and could reflect herself on her. So you wouldn't hurt yourself or your own child in that way and might even make you think a little bit more deeply about your own decisions when you see that, you know, like you see this over and over again. Um, once you start to humanize or personalize an issue, you can empathize with it more. Mm-hmm. You know, suddenly when... You're thinking about women's rights, for example, and you think about your own mom or your own wife or your sister, then suddenly you have a face for this issue. So maybe if she is spending time with Lyra and she sees that children are special and need to be preserved 
for you know whatever it is she's doing to these kids mm-hmm. then maybe she'll stop doing it or reconsider her actions or at the very least she's not going to hurt lyra lyra's not going to be in an immediate danger yeah i think that was i think you nailed it there more who's thinking she won't be in immediate danger at least yeah and maybe she or somebody else can figure something else out but it's not my problem anymore i am just trying to save my school right yeah. exactly you know, I don't have a lithiometer, so I can't tell you for sure, Molly, but hopefully that's a good idea. Uh, our next and final piece of feedback is from Brian. He's got a couple of points here. First, I've never understood why ransackers tear apart books when ransacking. In this case, I suppose Mrs. Coulter is just being a mega bee to the master and breaking all of his shit. It just seems unnecessary. Absolutely. She seems to be just pissed. That, for one, it didn't occur to her sooner that the master would trust her with Lyra and also not want to take her back because he already trusted her with Lyra. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, she fucked up. She's acting outside of the magisterium's order, so may as well make it big. Yeah, she is absolutely... She's taking out her frustration on this college just because it harbored Lyra for so long under a scholastic sanctuary which uh, if my understanding is correct that's why she couldn't come to the school and collect her herself mm-hmm. for the last 12 years yeah it also makes you wonder how long did she know that Lyra was there mm-hmm. did she just recently find out and come to collect has she always known when she gave her up did Lord Asriel report questions. back after the Great Flood? When did that relationship end? Did that relationship end? Yeah. All good questions. Indeed. Uh, Brian's second point. I didn't notice any of Mrs. Coulter's squad having demons apart from one or two guarding the door with their Belgian Malnoy partners. Uh, light spoiler. Could these be some demonless zombies or just cost savings from the production side? My instincts say cost savings, but we can be generous and say that these could be people who have been cut off from the fade. (laughs) And by the fade, I mean imagination. Sorry, I got my... I know you're (laughs) looking at me with the big eyes. I got my fantasy properties mixed up. Okay, it happens. Okay. I've been playing a lot of Dragon Age. That's fine, as long as it wasn't a spoiler (laughs) from the future. (laughs) No. That's a different thing. Just dreams and all that shit is basically, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I think it's cost production savings at the same time. I think that, so we didn't say this before now, but I am going to, the last part of Brian's email, I think it's going to get a little bit more spoilery. Not anything that's going to blow apart the entire series. Maybe the end of the season. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. But I'm going to get into some very light spoilers right now. You've been warned. I think for sure we've seen a demonless person in the form of that nurse that picked up Tony and Roger, or Billy and Roger. You saw the nurse say, boys to the right, girls to the left, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think she's a demonless person. She's got a haunted look about her. Yeah. So I think she we can... works. We can assume that she works. Mm-hmm. with the station somehow yeah because we know that those are mostly the people who man that station mm-hmm. and 
that sh- they just have a haunted appearance about them. So I know we've seen those people exist, but I'm not sure if the guards are. They make for good guards, I guess. Uh, you know, you 50% less liability. Yep, <laughs> not creative enough to be unhappy about anything. Right. <laughs> Uh, Brian continues, they seem to be really playing up the monkey being Mrs. Coulter's savage, bestial, cruel side and her being extremely disconnected from him at all times. I didn't get a lot of that from the original trilogy. I'm assuming this was pulled from the new trilogy. Either way, I really like it. That's really interesting because I have to say I feel the exact opposite way. I think in the book series, a lot more of Mrs. Coulter's like her anger and her like you said, that bestial nature is in the monkey, where she herself gets to stay this poised, prim, you know, vision of femininity, where in the show, it, I feel like it's very much the opposite. I feel like the monkey is much more regretful of her actions uh, in all but this scene where she, you know, and the scene where he attacks Lyra, but both times she told him to do that. But I think when he is not receiving like active orders from her he is hanging back and not super happy about what's going on mm-hmm. mrs coulter is i don't want to say getting to be the bad guy in this one because that makes sounding like being a bad guy a good thing and it's not but i think she is being allowed to take on more of that role which is kind of cool to see in a female villain yeah there's they're doing a lot with these two and I will say from just reading the first book so far that we don't get any of this relationship with her and her demon at all. Like they don't even hint towards there being, I mean, I don't even know if they say what kind of demon she has. They probably do, but that's the most you get of their relationship in the first book. So this seems, this is really interesting what they're doing. I feel like it's also very unique relationship that they're building for the show because they brought in puppeteers to do most of the deem the most of the like central demon work Mm -hmm. so when you have that going on it gives it this extra you know uh personalization the extra sense of physicality yeah yeah like it is you know a co-star of the show Mm -hmm. like they should be uh, Brian's email continues with the Ben Tony flat heist is a nice add to a slowish part of the story. They're doing a great job keeping the tempo up and what can sometimes be a talk heavy part of the book for me. That's fair. Yep. I would say that's fair. I'm not sure. I'm thinking about what it changes as far as the book story goes and it doesn't seem to be much, much at all in order to keep the, central part of the story continuing to go forward i think what we're seeing is the writer's attempt to you know gather all of this information and give it to us in a way that isn't super slow and boring but also moves the story forward in the way that is supposed to move forward so putting the pieces in place to come back later on but having to be a little bit creative about how they do that because Mm -hmm. The pace is accelerated. Right. And I was also thinking to myself that I couldn't believe that they waited this long to have Lyra read the alethiometer in any kind of comprehensible way. They waited until most of the way through this episode before she could. Mm -hmm. And even then, it wasn't reliable information yet. Uh, She hasn't really gotten reliable, actionable information yet. 
So this is one of those times when they stunted that growth in a way that was really effective. You know, she couldn't have had that emotional scene with Lord Fa and Farter Coram where she's withholding information from them and their chambers or the the reveal with Ma Costa where she says she took her in. You couldn't have had any of those moments really work if she had learned it any sooner. Exactly. Yeah, it would have it would have broken the story a little bit if she had been able to figure it out sooner. So as much as logically it makes sense that the master of Jordan would have at least told her like, hey, three hands, watch the needle, yeah. clear clear your dumb mind. Here, this is, here, let me teach you how to meditate real quick. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it works better for the story if they don't do that, even though it would make much more sense yeah. that to have happened. Yeah. So eh, it's a little bit of. It's a little bit of plot stuff instead of character <laughs> stuff, but what are you going to do? Uh, finally, Brian concludes, James Cosmo is absolutely killing it as Farter Corum, loving his interactions with Lyra, and Daphne Keene is also giving some great range in her scenes. Can't wait for next week. Armored Bear! Oh boy, I hope so, but you know yes. what? I don't even know if it will be. I think it will. I think we're going to spend some time with witches in the next episode. Because Hopefully. we're going to be journeying. We're going to spend time with witches. And we're also, oh, we're going to find out more about book two's co-protagonist. Co-protagonist. In the next co-protagonist, yep. In the next episode. <laughs> That'll be fun. All right, yeah. That did you see be a fun. bear in the preview? I did. I watched okay. the preview for next week, which I usually don't do. But it, had, it looks like it's going to be Lee Scoresby, Armored Bear, Yorick Berenson heavy episode um and I'm going to just reserve all of my thoughts for when that happens <laughs> right but I am excited armored bear armored bear armored bear armored bears I am hoping Show for me what you got <laughs> sorry I am hoping for more yeah, I'm hoping for witches so that we can stop pretending like they don't exist in the main podcast because I've been like dancing around it. They haven't explicitly said too much about them. They said witches a couple times, but they haven't, they have no context whatsoever. Just, you right. know, witches, they exist. Right. It could be witches in the pff, Salem, Massachusetts sense that mm -hmm. like these women just know math. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Or, you know, they know how to make fucking healing salves so suddenly they're witches yeah, yeah yeah they they discover the first version of neosporin and let's burn them let some men take credit they know what roots to chew when you don't want to be pregnant right exactly get pregnant both, both. <laughs> <laughs> all right well that's all i've got for this week uh for more hot takes on feminist issues <laughs> and witches and armored bears and any other Listen any other things bowl. you want to talk about <laughs> in the meantime we'll talk about his dark materials uh you can email us at tv at baldmove.com or forums.baldmove.com again to join in with the fellow fans but until we see you next week i am your host cecily i am your co-host alexis bye bye